In Genesis 6, we read about the sons of God, the daughters of men, and the Nephilim. Who were the Nephilim? This week on Creation Magazine Live. It's reasonable and logical to be a Christian, and we'll discuss yet another reason why on today's podcast. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. My name is Richard Fangrad. And I'm Thomas Bailey. Now this week on Creation Magazine Live, we want to explore possible answers to the question, who were the Nephilim? Uh, this is a very common question that often comes up in Q&A and question and answer times at our speaking events around the world. That's right. Christians all over the world have had this question. That's why we included a chapter in our top-selling book, Creation Answers book, right. that provides possible answers to the question. Let's begin by reading the section of Genesis where the Nephilim are mentioned. It's in the first few verses of Genesis 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years." The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Okay, so before we get to who the Nephilim were, we need to kind of, kind of take a step back and figure out who the sons of God were that were mentioned there. There are four major views regarding the expression, the sons of God, there in Genesis 6. And they are, number one, it refers specifically to fallen angels. And number two, it represents the godly descendants of Seth, one of Adam's uh, children. Number three, they were kings or rulers who were described as gods. And number four, they were human beings possessed by fallen demonic angels. Now, by the way, almost all of the content for today's show comes from one of the appendices of Gary Bates' mind-blowing book, Alien Intrusion, UFOs and the Evolution Connection. And that's now been turned into a movie, and both are available at creation.com. That's right. So let's go through these one at a time in that sequence. So number one, the fallen angel view. The early verses in Genesis 6 describe the world just before Noah's flood. They give the wickedness of man on the earth as the reason that God invoked this global catastrophe. Some Christian commentators believe that another reason for the flood was not only to destroy sinful mankind, but also to wipe out the offspring that resulted from the sexual union of the sons of God and the daughters of men, the Nephilim. Now this view is common among those who believe the sons of God were fallen angels. They argue that these angels cohabited with or had sexual relations with human women. The strongest argument for this view comes from the simplest understanding of the text. The, the, the term sons of God in Hebrew, bene ha-elohim, is used five times in the Old Testament and twice here in Genesis 6. In the passages outside of Genesis, it is always clearly used of angels. The angels are described as sons, bene, of God, because he directly created them. Contrast this to the description of the daughters of men. The Hebrew used here is benot adam. If the sons of God were mortal human beings being born of humans, then the expression used should have been bene adam. The text itself draws a clear distinction between the offspring of humans and those directly created by God. Right, yeah, and angels uh, aren't the only beings named sons of God. Adam, the first man, is called the son of God because God also supernaturally created him. 
in the New Testament, Christians are called sons of God because they've been born again. They are a new creation in Christ. Uh, and there are similar expressions in the Old Testament in Daniel 3.25, for example. The term sons of God or like the Son of God, uh, bar Elohim, is used, which describes either an angel or a theophany that appeared with the three men in the fiery furnace. And now, by the way, a theophany is where God appears as an angel uh, or in human form. The fallen angel view is a common view held by the translators of the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament completed a couple of centuries before Christ. Also, ancient Jewish interpreters, the historian Josephus, the earliest Christian writers, and by many modern Christian apologists today. We're talking about the different views regarding the identity of the sons of God mentioned there in Genesis 6 and their offspring, the Nephilim. There are four views, four major views, and we've been explaining the first one, that the sons of God were fallen angels. That's right. The biggest objection to this view is the belief that it's impossible for angels to have sexual relations with humans because they're spirit beings. Right, yeah, fair enough. Uh, but Gary Bates gives examples that perhaps this is not the case in his book, Alien Intrusion. And scripture mentions this as well, it's not just Gary's idea. Uh, that angels can also exist at a physical level. The objection is often based on a passage in Mark 12, verses 24 to 25, where Jesus was being questioned about a hypothetical woman who, according to Jewish law, should marry the brother of her dead husband. Okay. If there were seven brothers and they all eventually died and she outlived them all, then she would have been married to all of them. All of them, yeah. So given this scenario, they challenged Jesus with the question, who would be her husband at the resurrection of the dead? Jesus replies, is not the reason you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Some people use this passage to claim that angels are incapable of having sex or procreating. But that's not what the Bible says. Right, that's not what it says. It does say that angels in heaven, in other words, those angels who obey God, don't engage in no. this practice. In, in a parallel passage in Luke chapter 20, the context is made clear. Jesus said, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain from the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Now, he answered the question primarily to affirm the reality of the resurrection and eternal life it will bring believers, uh, like that of the angels, contradicting the beliefs of the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead and who were trying to trick Jesus. So it's not a proof text against the fallen angel view. Right. Nevertheless, the fallen angel view of the sons of God is an unacceptable explanation to many. Right. Some argue against it and have tried to explain the passage in other ways. Yeah, and around the 5th century, for example, uh, the, the, the fallen angel view came increasingly under attack. Some theologians claimed that it was impossible for angels to father children by human women. But supporters of the fallen angel view have often pointed out that angels have appeared in physical bodies, yes. such as the three visitors to Abraham who sat, ate, and spoke with him in Genesis 18. Right. They ate food, so we would presume that they had the necessary digestive systems to be able to do this. Right, yeah, physical bodies. 
Now that sums up the first view. We could say more about that, of course, but let's move on in the time that we have to the next possibility. This is the Sethite view. In this view, the sons of God were descendants of Seth. Yeah. The scriptural support for this idea comes from Genesis 4, 25 and 26, which describes the birth of Seth to his father Adam. It says, Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Okay. Now, it was assumed to be a godly line because the passage says that men began to call out to God. But some Christian apologists, and, and citing ancient biblical historians, claim that call mentioned there is mistranslated and actually should read profane. In other words, they began to disrespect the name of the Lord or use his name in vain. In any case, it doesn't really matter for, the, for our discussion today. The point is, there were many generations after Enosh. And family heritage is not an automatic producer of piety. I mean, just, just because your right. grandparents were godly doesn't mean you are, right? This view also doesn't hold that the daughters of men were descended from the evil Cain, who right. murdered his brother Abel. If this were the case, you've got to wonder why the Bible doesn't just say sons of Seth and daughters of Cain. That would be easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> there doesn't seem to be any textual basis for applying exclusivity to the lineage of Seth or Cain. Right. If there is any distinctive human line at all, benot Adam means the daughters of Adam, which ultimately means all women anyway. All women anyway, yeah. There's nothing to suggest that Cain's line was, was any more pious than, than anybody else on the face of the earth. And conversely, there's no implication that the daughters of Cain would have been any more sinful than anybody else. That's right. According to 1 John 3.12, Cain belonged to the wicked one because he murdered his brother Abel. But this passage doesn't refer to his offspring. Also, if the remaining descendants of Seth were so godly, why were they not spared from the judgment on sin that everyone else received except for Noah and his family? Yeah, it's a good question. They should have been on the ark, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, if, if they really were godly. But uh, some have also claimed that when it says the sons of God took wives for themselves, it implies some kind of a more violent taking than one normally associates with the, with the normal process of betrothal. But to take a wife is, is a common term still used today. For example, Strong's Concordance says that the Hebrew verb can mean to take, to get, fetch, lay hold of, seize, receive, acquire, buy, bring, marry, take a wife, snatch, or take away. Now, with that large range of meanings, it doesn't provide strong support uh, for, the, for the claim that this was a more violent taking of some sort. Um, so the Sethite view has some problems. We are talking about the Nephilim. We are. And we haven't actually gotten around to that yet. No. <laughs> First, we need to identify who the sons of God were. Yes. The third view is that the sons of God were kings and rulers. Okay. Now, while it's true that many ancient rulers, and some modern ones for, for, for that matter, have declared themselves to be gods, yeah. uh, but it's hard to see any scriptural support for a claim like that. The text doesn't imply it. It's an outside idea. Uh, the term mighty men there in Genesis 6-4 is often used to suggest that they may have been uh, kings or leaders, but, but that's not what the term actually means. Right. Also, the Nephilim, the offspring of this union, are always referred to in the masculine gender. 
But the offspring of human parents would occasionally include girls, too. That's how it works, yeah. <laughs> of course, the, the, the fourth view is the view that the sons of God are fallen angels or demons who possessed or inhabited the bodies of men. And that's entirely possible. We see that phenomenon throughout Scripture. The practices of channeling, automatic writing, and perhaps even alien abduction experiences are forms of demonic possession. That's the fourth view, and it leads to the question, then who are the Nephilim, and why are they expressly mentioned as the offspring of this union? It's odd, because nowhere else in Scripture are the offspring of demon-possessed people, or anybody else for that matter, singled out and then automatically classified as fallen. Right, yeah, and that's what the word actually means. The word Nephilim was actually left untranslated by the English translators. It's a Hebrew word right there in our English translations. And in some earlier versions, the word was rendered as giants. And it's, it's, it's possible that these beings were large. So in one sense, the translation could be correct. But its literal meaning is fallen ones, from the Hebrew root word nephal, which means to fall or to be cast down. That's right. Some have suggested that the Nephilim were condemned because they were not fully human. This comes from the view that the sons of God were angels that cohabited with women to produce half-angelic, half-human beings, a hybrid offspring. An often quoted scripture to support the angel view is Jude 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains, for judgment on the great day. Okay, now the next verse clearly links the perverted sexual practices of Sodom and Gomorrah with fallen angels who have not kept their place. Because of that, some claim that there was another reason for God invoking the great flood to destroy the Nephilim. Yep. A popular view is that these half-human, half-angel beings retained some of their supernatural characteristics of their fathers. This made them effectively superhuman, and so they exerted great influence over human affairs with their superior knowledge and strength. Yeah, uh, this view arose because of the description of the Nephilim as uh, mighty men of old, or men of renown in some translations there in Genesis 6 verse 4. Uh, in the previous verse, God had already said that he was going to shorten the days of mankind, 120 years till the flood comes, because he couldn't tolerate their wickedness any longer. It's also been suggested that the angels uh, created the Nephilim in order to infiltrate the human gene pool. That's interesting. Who were the Nephilim? We're exploring the possibility that they were an attempt by Satan to corrupt the human gene pool. Interesting. So why would Satan be trying to do that? Well, Satan had been warned in the Garden of Eden that enmity or hostility would exist between his offspring and the offspring of the first woman. This is likely a specific reference to Christ, who, although God, was born of a woman. That's right, yeah. Now, interesting, a deeper look at the expression offspring there reveals that, uh, like most translations, for example, render the word as seed, as in a child born in the normal manner. Uh, it's possible that these sons of God were trying to corrupt the human line through the daughters of men, the daughters of Adam, from which the Messiah would come. That's right. Very interesting. Could that also be another reason that Noah and his family were spared? Yeah. As well as them being God-fearing, does the Scripture also suggest that they were untainted genetically by any angelic influence? Hmm. Gen Genesis 6-9 also says that Noah was perfect in his generations. 
Maybe it isn't exclusively referring to Noah's spiritual or moral perfection. Yeah, um, if God sent the flood and destroyed the world because of the extreme wickedness of man and because angels raised the intensity of the battle a, a notch or two, is it possible that fallen angels have crossed the line again in modern times? Mm. Remember, the content for today's show comes mostly from an appendix in the book Alien Intrusion. Yes. There may be a link between the activities of the Nephilim 4,500 years ago to the enormous and increasing UFO abduction activity we're seeing today. Right. Could it be a manifestation of what Jesus foretold, just as it was in the days of Noah? Yeah, could be. Uh, but it may just refer to a time when fallen angels increased their deceptiveness, their deceptive practices and deceptiveness on people. Uh, the people of Noah's day ignored the warning and perished. Uh, they missed the way of escape through the ark, the literal ark of salvation that God provided there. Today, God has provided another ark, figuratively, that is Jesus Christ. Right. For those who repent and believe in His act of saving grace there on the cross, times similar to Noah's, Christ said, would come before His return. Mm. Throw that into the mix as well, right? <laughs> it gives us lots to think about. It does. Now, we've presented four views of the identity of the sons of God in Genesis 6 yeah. and have investigated the Nephilim question with the evidence available. With some, there's not a lot of evidence to support the claims. Right. Other evidence raises a lot of discussion and can challenge our traditional ideas. Yes. Much more could be written, but the conclusion is the same. A long tradition of documents indicates that fallen angels have been deceiving mankind since the beginning of creation. Right, yeah, not surprising. Uh, well, what about the Nephilim reappearing in the Promised Land after the Flood? Uh, here's what happened. Prior to entering the Promised Land and doing battle with, with uh, its inhabitants, Moses sent 12 spies, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, on a reconnaissance mission. On their return... Uh, in Numbers 13, 28, and 29, uh, the spies commented that there were, there were giants in the land, and the Nephilim were there in the land. Uh, the descendants of Anak, they said. That, that's the Anakim, the Anakites. Right. But take note that the spies brought back a bad or evil report. Yes. That report included, included a parenthetic insertion that the large people known as the sons of Anak were descended from the Nephilim. Yeah. The NIV simply puts it as, we saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Yeah, now it was a false report. We know that because God intended to strike down all of the people with, with a plague for their unbelief. But Moses interceded on their behalf, and, uh, and, and most of them were spared. However, some were not going to be spared, those who brought the evil, the false report. Also, these Anakim were descendants of post-flood people. That's right. They couldn't be descendants of the pre-flood Nephilim who were wiped out in the flood. In the flood. Chapter 10 of Genesis records the table of nations. That is, the descendants of Noah's sons. And there's no mention of Anak or the Nephilim post-flood. That's right. In, in this view, if the Nephilim have been bound with, with everlasting chains, as we read in, in, as we just read that earlier in Jude verse 6, then they will not and cannot reappear again at all. What about Goliath? Okay. Yes, he was a giant, a but big guy. not a Nephilim. No. Right now, all over the world, there are very large people, 
And some tribal groups, such as those in the Pacific Island nations, are known for their size. Right. But just because someone is big doesn't mean they're a Nephilim. No. Uh, the, the things we're talking about today on today's show uh, can be quite disturbing. Genesis 6 is highly controversial. There's different views and so on. And, and a lot more could be said on this, on this topic than we, than we have time to cover today. Uh, we really recommend Gary Bates' book, Alien Intrusion, for more information. Please keep in mind that there are a range of views on this. Yep. CMI doesn't have an official view, and there are people in the ministry who may also hold different positions. We received an email from CS from the UK who wrote, Are you going to make an article on the Paracas skulls from Peru? Do you have any information on them now? Uh, like, are they just humans or apes? It is said their DNA doesn't match anything on record. I'm seeing a lot of things about this in forums I frequent, and I'd like to have an answer to refute some of these so-called aliens. Okay, now those are some weird-looking heads. <laughs> uh, and, and, and people have jumped to the conclusion that these were aliens, and even that the DNA recovered is Nephilim DNA. That's how it fits yeah. in with, with, the, with the show today. Lita Costner from our Information Department at the U.S. Office of Creation Ministries. Uh, she, she took this one on and she responded. Here's part of her response. We're not going to get to the whole thing here. But she writes, Skulls can be intentionally deformed, and it is well known that some Mexican and South American cultures did this by placing heavy weights on a child's soft skull. Yuck. In other cultures... Children's skulls were tightly wrapped in bandages to create this appearance. Such practices were often done as a status symbol of sorts. So if we find what look like distorted skulls of possibly diseased and or purposely uh, deformed humans, the logical conclusion is not that we must have found aliens. <laughs> Good point. She continues, When we examine the content of the claims and who is making them, we find lots of reasons to be skeptical of the hype about the skulls. The announcement was not made in a scientific journal, but via the media. The same media that promotes mermaids, Bigfoot, and other <laughs> sensational claims. Okay. Brian Forster, one of the men who made the announcement, the assistant director of a private museum with no relevant credentials, runs paranormal tours in Peru. The geneticist who did the testing wants to be anonymous, at least for now, so his expertise cannot be used to bolster the claim until he is willing to make it public. Okay, uh, so here's another thing to consider. Um, Lita writes, And there is reason to be skeptical of the claim that the DNA is unlike anything we've ever seen. First of all, why would aliens have DNA? That's a good point. Uh, if life evolved elsewhere, what are the chances its information code would look anything like DNA or produce something as human-like as the skulls? And she makes a few other points as well. We don't have time to, 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 to discuss them all. If you, if you want to look at the whole response there, if this interests you, you can see the article and Lita's response there at creation.com slash paracas. The bottom line is that Christians should be cautious about buying into sensational claims like this, right. especially when the conclusions are anti-biblical in nature. The Bible has a tendency to be proven right when all the details are examined. Yes, yeah, and that's, that kind of reminds me of a show we did a couple of weeks ago on archaeology. We interviewed uh, the, 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 the late Dr. Clifford Wilson, a, a, a well-known archaeologist in, in Christian circles, uh, Australian archaeologist, and, and he was, 
he said over and over again in the interview that, okay, well, uh, other, his experiences with other archaeologists, uh, they got caught kind of backpedaling sometimes because initially they would say, oh, the Bible's wrong. There's, we have no records of these people or this, this town or whatever. This never happened. And then they'd find something, and it would, it would support the biblical text. That's right. So, That's right. <laughs> it would, it would, in his words, it would prove the biblical text correct. That's right. We've got to remember that science is fallible and the Bible is infallible. Right, yeah, or the interpretations of science. Anyway, science is great. I mean, the, the data, the observations that come from science, I mean, everybody likes those. Those are great. But um, you know what? Creation Magazine uh, is a great place to get information about scientific discoveries and then also see how those scientific discoveries, the latest scientific discoveries, wonderfully support the Bible. You can view a free digital issue, creation.com slash freemag. We get a lot of the content from the show. Uh, from past issues of the magazine, and we'll be back again next week with another topic. You've been listening to the podcast version of Creation Magazine Live, produced by Creation Ministries International. With offices internationally and more scientists on staff than any Christian ministry, you can find loads of faith-supporting articles on our massive website, creation.com. Check it out. 